Special thanks to Sherard Coos for helping us bring you today's PO Leadership's Snippet Podcast. Welcome to our Snippets Podcast. I'm Leon Gorin, CEO and President of PO Leadership, North America's premier peer-to-peer network and leadership advisory firm. Today, we welcome Keith Beckley, CEO of Novex Systems, which is an EMR system for addiction and pain. If you're like me, you don't know what EMR stands for, but it is a computer system that helps healthcare providers manage patient medical records and automate clinical workflows. So Keith and I go way back. We've known each other since the age of 12 years old when we attended Winfield's Junior High School in North York. We've partaked in many adventures throughout life, whether it be competing in the pool, swimming and playing water polo, or launching one of our first companies, JustWhiteShirts.com, back in 1996. Keith is a physicist, engineer, climate sport, and all-round natural athlete standing six foot five. He's a world traveler, having visited more than 57 countries. And of course, he's a longtime member of PL Leadership. Keith, it's great to have you with us today. Oh, Leon. <laughs> Hello, Keith. By the way, I didn't really compete very well with you in the pool. I'll tell you that much. Except for the water pole. It was those okay, long arms. Fine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's three things we're going to cover here today. One is you'll give us a little bit of sense, better sense of Novex. And then two, we're going to jump into your real passion here around EVs, and you're going to educate some of the listeners around where we're going and, and stuff. And then third, if we have time, we'll jump into energy. So we'll kick it off on Novex. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, so Novex was founded, it was actually early into the space, and it was founded in 2003. And um, we've turned into sort of a boutique MR in the sense that we are, we, we, Our market is specialists. So most EMR companies came out and they did a land grab into uh, family practitioners, which is the vast majority of the market. But we found our place in specialists, uh, addiction, pain, uh, psychiatry, and we just focus on having uh, dashboards and templates that really sing to that community. So... um, it's a wonderful business. It's a monthly recurring revenue. The government pays the doctors. We know they get paid, so they pay us. And, um, you know, we built something super tailored for that. And then when we sort of saturate a silo, we uh, look at another silo of specialists. So we can grow kind of at the speed we want. And uh, it's, a, it's a small team, but, you know, all my employees have been with us for better part of a decade now. And, um, uh, it, it's a it's a good business. It's a good business to me. Well, that's awesome. And I know it's uh, I know you work that job during the day, and then you're up all night reading about everything on the energy side. So for those that don't know, and most of you don't know, Keith owned the second Model S that was delivered in Canada. He really bugs him that he didn't get the first one, but he wasn't number one slotted for the delivery, so he got the second. Um, but he studies all this stuff like crazy. So I thought it'd be a great conversation. Maybe you can tell us where we are today compared to where when you bought your first one and where's this whole thing going? Uh, everybody's sort of saying it's, you know, Tesla's way overvalued. It's going up, up, up and away. Um, a lot of people are disbelievers in it, but you're a big believer in the whole system and, and where it is today and where it's going. Yeah, for sure. So I, my interest in this 
early on, I've always been interested in energy and energy systems and, you know, how, how society was going to move for that. It's turned into a ridiculous passion. Uh, you're not wrong to say <laughs> when the business day is over, I spend my night listening to podcasts, researching, uh, following um, others who write. So I put my deposit down very early in 2009, got my car in 2012, was very sure I was buying a lemon, um, that I would be spending inordinate amounts of money on a battery after three years. Uh, so it turns out none of that was true. It turns out the car ended up being incredibly reliable. I have it still. It's 250,000 uh, kilometers. Uh, my battery degradation has been less than 10%. Uh, you know, it's, it's turned out to be uh, a very, very good car. And, you know, I've been really, really following this space. And I don't think quite in North America, we realize where this is going. So I'll give you a little bit of a picture of where things are. So in Europe, uh, where um, they have a much more aggressive tax policy around hydrocarbons, especially around the price of gas, um, EVs are taking off like crazy. Basically, if you build it, someone's going to buy it. No one's has any uh, cars sitting around on lots. Um, Tesla is the leader, but it's now only one. Uh, Volkswagen's taking it very seriously as well. And about 10% of cars sold in Western Europe now are, um, are EVs. And the leader is Norway. Um, there's actually a Super Bowl commercial in a way about this. Um, so Norway now, uh, in the latest year that they have stats, uh, is over 90%, either a pure EV or a what's called a hybrid, so uh, a car with a partially EV and a, uh, and a gas extender as well. And if you think about that market now, um, and this is what I really want to get people to understand, if you're buying, if you're one of the last 10% who's buying a petrol-driven car, a gas-driven car, think about what that car is worth in five years. Nobody wants that car, right? And that ship has already sailed in Norway. And we're on that S adoption curve and things are starting to go vertical, right? And uh, it's just a beyond a massive shakeup of the industry. And the traditional automakers um, you know, we're going to struggle. Some will come through and some won't. And the reason they won't is because long ago they stopped being anything but having IP and engines, right? And now engines is no longer important. What's important is batteries and electric motor drivetrain. So they're, they're very much struggling and trying to figure out how to make this transition and make it profitably. So there's, uh, you know, and then, so you have that Kind of drag, but then the pull of the market is that countries and and many in Europe and some jurisdictions in North America are now part are now starting to put in dates. The earliest ones being 2025, many around 2030, when no more diesel or gas cars will be able to be sold in those countries. That's very European. The biggest car market for EVs in the world is the Chinese, who basically want to be a leader in this space. And when you have such a massive technology disruption, it's such a great opportunity for them to come in. There's over 80 EV companies you've never heard of. Um, there's only two in North America of the Chinese, but there's 80 in China that are trying to win this market. And the government there is absolutely dead serious, uh, mostly because they got a smog problem. But they also want a big player in the automotive market, and they don't want to have to do it the Japanese way when you come in with cheap 
um, and then cheap cars, uh, you know, back in the 70s and 80s and then build their way up to, uh, you know, the reputations they have today. So all of this to say it's it's massively disrupting. It's it's coming fast. Um, the only knock against EVs right now, I would say, is that the initial capital cost is still higher, but it's coming down very rapidly because the price of batteries is coming down. Um, but the data is in now on the carrying costs, so the total cost of, cost of ownership. And the data is as following. If you buy an EV over its lifetime, your cost of maintenance is exactly about half of if it is for an internal combustion engine car. And if you buy an EV, your cost of driving it, in other words, the energy, is about 20%. So if you're spending $100 a month in gas, you're spending $20 a month in, um, on your electricity bill. So the total cost of ownership is already a win. Um, but for some folks, obviously, that upfront sticker price is everything. So that's all to say that this is coming on incredibly fast. And as far as I'm concerned today, given the availability of models, you know, every company now has at least one pure EV. Some have two, some have three. Um, it is a really questionable decision financially. Forget about the performance and the ease of use and all that kind of stuff. Financially, very questionable to still buy an internal combustion engine, even in North America, where it's only 3% of the market, but growing from last year, which was 1%. So um, I'm not sure if you have any other specific questions, but I can I can certainly knock off some of the benefits of the EV space if you want to hear. Well, it's funny because you, you said in Norway, the used car market is basically done, right? If you're in yeah. North America today, the used car market is absolutely insane because of the shortage of cars. So if you're actually going to buy a car today, you're going to pay a fortune. And what you're suggesting is in the three years, whatever you pay today, it's actually going to be worthless, worthless potentially in three to yep. five years. Yeah. So. If it's a, the, uh, EVs have held up their value very much because everyone that's built is sold. Um, but yeah, I think that you're definitely going to go to a point where you're trying to sell a car into a market that's not desirable because the cost of running an EV is so small in comparison to a gas car. So if you think about it, I'm buying an EV, sorry, I'm buying a used gas car, which is probably coming off warranty. I have to fill it with gas. I have the maintenance stuff coming down the pipe. Whereas I can have an EV with, you know, 20% of the cost to run it, basically no maintenance coming and all the conveniences. So, so what about the infrastructure though? Because I know it was a worry a few years back. Is it set up now? Like, do you have any concerns? If you want to get down to Florida, you want to go down to California, driving from Toronto, when the border's open, of course, um, how easy is it to do it? And are you stuck at a so-called charging station for 45 minutes to an hour having to recharge? Right. So this is a great question. Um, and I, I think the answer is slightly bifurcated. I don't want, I, the EV space is great. I do have to give one small plug for Tesla here. Their particular charging infrastructure is second to none. So I have done that Florida trip down and back. Um, and it was seamless, painless, not a problem. And the the thing you, so I'll say two things about charging then. One is the, that people don't realize is you do 98% of your charging at home, 
right? You actually rarely use these chargers out and about because most of us don't travel more than 500 kilometers in a day, which is a range of, of you know, the, the, the better EVs or even 300 kilometers in a day. But getting back to the road tripping, so the speed, the amount of current, the power they can put into the car just keeps going up and the battery's ability to accept that power keeps getting better. So what was a 45-minute stop now has come down to around a 20-minute stop. So it barely gives you time to have a nature break and grab a bite to eat. And we certainly had that. And, and then the other thing that people don't really realize is you never drive the car to zero and charge to 100. Typically, what you do is you drive the car down to about 20%, like a gas tank, right? When the light comes on, right. 15%, and we fill up. So you drive to 20%, and then you fill it, then you charge to like 80%, which which is the fast part of the charge. The slow part of the charge is from 80 to 100%. It's the taper. It goes, it's much slower. So you go fast to 80 and then you drive for three plus hours until you get to the next charger when you're down to 20 and you go to 80. And then you're in that 20 minute range. And the number of chargers is just exponentially increasing, whether it's the Tesla system or the or uh, any of the other ones. So it, it, it's kind of a solved problem now. All right. I know we're going we're going a little longer here. I wanted to touch on that last topic on energy. And if you had to summarize, because we don't have time to really dig into this, but what's going to be the one big visible thing that people are going to start to notice sort of on a bigger picture around this whole hydrocarbons thing um, over the next few years? So I like to say it this way. This is going to be the decade of wind, solar and battery. So um, and, and wind will be offshore and onshore. And the price of wind and solar and batteries are dropping so fast that they absolutely beat out every new incremental, every new bid that's out there for new energy is going to be basically wind or solar, or else somebody is making a really bad economic decision. So then when you take the variability of wind and solar, i.e. the wind doesn't blow, the sun doesn't shine all the time, and you add battery, which is also used to uh, technically to stabilize the grid, because batteries can basically respond almost instantaneously to demand or oversupply, um, you're basically going to have grids that become incredibly more resilient than the ones we have now, and they are going to basically become hydrocarbon free. And if you're someone who, well, the, I'm not going to talk about the coal industry. The coal industry is done. It knows it's done. Um, but even natural gas now is very much struggle over the next decade. And you're going to see a lot of plants that were built in this past decade or the 2000s that are supposed to have 40 or 30 or 40 year lifetimes. And they're going to be stranded assets and written off. Um, it's it's an incredible, fa incredibly fascinating time in this space, which has always historically been a very sleepy space. But uh, it's it's hyperactive right now. Well, that's great. So, a couple points out of there, but the big one that I think people may want to take a look at. They can take a look at the personal investments in terms of how they're investing, and if they own some of these sleepy assets that have been just utilities in terms of generating returns for them. Mm -hmm. um, a stranded asset means it's going down to zero at some point in time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so you can, own, um, you can own utilities, but not utilities that have a lot of hydrocarbon assets. Yes. 
Well, Keith, thanks so much for joining us, sharing all those insights. If you're interested in any of our live webcasts, The Way Forward Live or any other snippets, please take a moment and visit us at po-leadership.com. You'll find on our site various previous recorded webcasts, which include guests such as Professor Kenneth Stein, Harvard's Rosabeth Cantor, Rob Chestnut, Dr. Greg Wells, Morgan Housel, Mitchell Goldhart, and many more as we cover such topics as mental health, leadership, and the world reset. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you again shortly.